0: Amen. Well, it is a blessing to have those who can preach to us, so Bradley's going to come and preach to us. Appreciate him being able and willing you preach to us. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to open God's Word and expound it, and I hope it's a blessing to you. turn to Psalm chapter (coughs) 1. Pastor gave a a little bit of a uh, New Year's uh, sermon uh, for the new year. I'm sort of going to do the same thing. I was originally planning on preaching the previous Sunday, but uh, hopefully this will be a help to you. Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The title of my message this morning is The Way of the Blessed Man. The Way of the Blessed Man. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to expound your word. I pray that you would use it to bring glory and honor and worship to your name. Lord, your name is above every name. And Lord, we want to praise you and thank you for all that you have done for us. I thank you for this church I thank you, Lord, for people that are like-minded. The fellowship that we have, one with another. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word. Help me to expound it. And I pray that you would help me not to say anything your word does not say. But I pray that I would be faithful to preach what you do, saying that you would use it. In Christ's name I do pray. Amen. Now, what if I were to tell you that I could guarantee you happiness, and prosperity. You'd probably kind of think, well, he's he's going to teach some false doctrine, some prosperity gospel or something like that. But that's not the case. You know, the Bible actually does guarantee a way to happiness and prosperity for the Christian. And that may seem kind of confusing because we know that if you're a Christian... Lord doesn't promise a Christian an, an easy life. He doesn't promise him wealth. In fact, he tells him that he's going to signing up for war when he becomes a child of God. He has to put on the whole armor of God and stand and fight. And it's difficult. But I think the reason why we confuse the two is because we have a false view of what happiness and what prosperity really is. And that's because our sinful flesh in this world teach something that's contrary to Scripture. And it's a lie from Satan. And, and that lie is that prosperity is, equals wealth. And happiness equals I don't have to work. It equals retirement. It equals I have financial freedom. You know, f- financial freedom is a lie. It, there is, it is true that you know, if you're in debt, you, know, you can't do certain things. And, but you know, the dollar could crash at any moment. You know the your your money and your wealth that you have saved up at any time could could completely go away. Financial freedom is is is, is really you can't finances do not does not give you freedom. Only God can give you freedom. And so I think that's why we kind of confuse the idea of of. You if if we're happy and we're prosperous, and, you know, if you're if you're teaching that Christians, the Lord does guarantee you happiness and prosperity, that He's guaranteeing you wealth and 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 happiness. But I think that that's why. But this is a lie from the devil. And this passage explains to us the true source of happiness and what it truly means to prosper. It also explains to us the way of an ungodly man. There's two different ways to live. It's explained in this passage. The way of the ungodly man is empty. It's temporal. And it's perishing. It is the way of vanity that leads to hell. As we study this passage, I hope you will ask yourself this question, which path are you on? Are you living the way of the blessed man? Or are you living the way of the ungodly man? Or maybe you're somewhere in between. You don't know. Maybe you don't have happiness. You're a Christian, and you're not, you wouldn't say, oh, I'm, I'm ungodly. But at the same time, you don't have joy. And you're not prospering in your Christian life. Well, this passage can fix that for you. Let me explain. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man. And that word, blessed is translated 18 times in Scripture as happy. Happy is the man. It's a guarantee. It's definitive. Happy is the man, or blessed is the man, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. The word counsel is also translated as advice. When we think of counsel, it's, it's the same word that we would think of. And ungodly just has to do with a wicked man, a person that's not saved. So happy is a man that walks not in the counsel of an ungodly person. You know, bad counsel listened to led to the downfall of all humanity. Adam and Eve believed a lie that was told to them. It was There's some truth to it, but it was a lie that they could be as gods, that they could have happiness. they (laughs) They already had happiness. They had the very presence of the Lord, and the Lord gave them everything except for one thing, but again, they believed a lie. They took counsel from Satan. Satan is the father of lies. John 8.44 tells us that. And I think that's important as we, as we train up our children is to, is to teach them that. Is that you're lying. It's satanic. Satan is the father of lies. We must be careful not to listen to Satan's lies. Revelation 12.9 says that Satan deceiveth the whole world. The whole world. And we see that today more than any time I've been able to see it before in my lifetime. People are deceived. And the Bible tells us that this deception that we see is only going to wax worse and worse. It's not going to get better. You know, there's a passage, and I can't remember which uh, verse it comes from, but Jesus, Jesus said that the Antichrist, he's going to be so deceiving. If it were possible, he'd deceive even the very elect, if it were possible. So Satan, you know, this is important. The Bible wouldn't, God wouldn't tell us this. We we sort of just go through this passage and read it. Yeah, you know, does not take counsel for him, Godly. We just got to gloss over it. But it is so important 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, He that is spiritual judgeth all things. We must be careful who we listen to. So what are some sources of ungodly counsel? There's many. The first thing I wrote is financial advisors, people that can give you financial advice. Those people are all over the Internet guaranteeing you if you do this, if you invest in this, but financial advisors also would say, you know, you're going to give 10%. You can't afford to give 10% of your money to, to, the, to the church. You can't afford it. You don't need to do that. You need to, get out of, you need to get out of debt first before you give God his money. So in other words, you need to steal from God first. That's something that they would tell you. How about this? Podcasts. I love listening. I I listen to podcasts very frequently. And I enjoy listening to podcasts. But podcasts can consume so much of your time and thoughts. Some podcasts are 30 minutes, some are 3 hours. And if we're listening to a podcast over and over and over again, what are they teaching us? They may be teaching us some good things, but you know how much trash are we also getting with those those good things some lies that they might tell that life life is all about just being happy you need to you need to find happiness and you can find that through through self discipline or money which is is there's some partial truth in those things you can find happiness in self in self discipline it's hard to be a successful Christian without self-discipline. You can't. And I know self-discipline is really spirit-yielding and I get that, but you know what I mean. How about this? News sources. Republicans are going to save the country. The Democrats are going to save the country. We need to elect this person. We need to elect that person. This person has the answers. Or how about this? Don't go to church. Because there's a virus out there. <laughs> because there's sickness. Don't sing songs. Because if you sing, you know, you're going to spread germs everywhere. Well, That's not what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible doesn't tell us to do those things. Are we going to allow people in the news media and Dr. Fauci, who's not even a doctor, to... to well? Anyway, that's debatable. <laughs> to, to tell us how to live our life? No. But yet how many people are not going to church because the media has them scared to death? Of course, we didn't. You know, we had to quit having service because everybody was out sick. Nobody would have been here. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's just a part of life that we live. The world is sin-cursed. There's sicknesses. People get sick. It's normal. But if you sit and listen to news media all day, they'll have you terrified. But two hours in, three hours in, I mean, there's a lot of people that are scared, scared to death. And this isn't just a left a left thing. This is people on the right as well. You know, Glenn Beck. You listen to him, you'll be for too long. You'll get depressed. <laughs> I mean, he is a doom and gloom type, of, and some a lot of the things he says I, I think are true, but. If you listen to him nonstop, wow, you're, you're not going to have the joy of the Lord. You're not going to be the blessed man. And we ought not walk in his counsel. Or how about this? We need to just let people love each other. And you hear this a lot, libertarians and republicans. Homosexuality doesn't really, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect you. So if they want to love each other, let them love each other. But doesn't the Bible say that righteousness exalteth the nation and sinners is a reproach to any people? We ought to be careful, we're not deceived, into thinking, you know what? That's right. You know Who cares what they do?, yeah, they, they can have that, that choice. Well that's not what the Bible says is a good thing. We've got to be careful. How about this books? And I read this one recently. Social drinking isn't actually forbidden in the Bible. And the writer was kind of scoffing the fact that, that Baptists and, and these, and, you know, separatist people think that, well, you know, Jesus made wine, of course. But they'll, and they'll give all of their, their reasons why they think that it's okay. And if you're not careful, we laugh about it, but if you're not careful, you can start to believe some things or question, well, maybe he's right. We must be careful. Or how about this? God didn't die to save the whole world, just the elect. It's limited atonement. And they'll give all these fancy reasons of why they believe that. We've got to be careful. Or how about this one? This passage is not in the oldest found manuscripts. So maybe this is what the Bible says. Maybe it's not what it says. And we can go on and on. You have know, scientists, which we've already talked, which now say that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man and that sodomites, you know, being a, so- a sodomite can be healthy. Really? Where did, have you ever heard of AIDS? I mean, foolishness. What does the Bible say? The Bible gives us answers to these things. We must be careful. Blessed, happy is the man that walks not after the counsel of the ungodly. How about this one? Friends. And specifically to the teenagers here and the older adults, you've got to be careful who you spend time with. Even church buddies can can be a snare to you. And... You know, Amnon, Amnon had a friend who said, you know, You're, you deserve to be happy. You're the king's son. You better be careful. And teenagers can give some really, <laughs> really bad advice. Really bad advice. How many times has God's word warned us about false teachers, about false doctrine? Over and over and over and over again, Second Timothy two fifteen through eighteen. Paul told Timothy, "Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred? And pay attention to this." saying that the resurrection has passed already and overthrown the faith of some. It didn't just affect those two. It affected other people in the congregation. You better be careful who you listen to. And this came from inside the church. Jude tells us that this is going to happen, that false teachers and things will come from inside the church. Peter tells us, Paul tells us, we must be careful who we listen to and examine things and judge all things. A righteous man will judge all things. The happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Next, we see he does not stand in the way of sinners. You know, you don't have to, to get along with everybody to be a happy person. You know, Jesus did not get along with everybody. He ate with publicans and sinners and witnessed to them and, and you know fed the, the hungry and even harlots. You know, he, he spent time with them to, to for what purpose, to, to teach them of himself, that they might be saved. But he didn't just get along with, with wicked people. He, he called sin out, called it what it was. And again, especially to young people and teenagers. Be careful who you hang around. You don't have to be buddy, buddy, and friends with everybody. And when your friends do something that is wrong, call it out. Say, that is wrong. I've been there. I've had to do that. It's not easy. And sometimes we have to separate ourselves from certain people. And But, you know, the funny thing is is that if you start beginning calling out other people's sins and their bad counsel and telling them "No that that is wrong," usually what happens is they separate from you. That's what I've found in my life. Don't stand in the way of sinners. He does not The Blessed man does not participate in their ways by doing the things that they do and going the places that they go. You know, when I worked for my, at my last job, there came a time where the guys that I was with and I didn't, have, I didn't have I was riding with them it was a group of guys and they knew a good place to eat well I didn't know where it was I didn't know it was a bar but when we got there it was a bar and I'm ashamed to say that I ate there I did it but the Lord greatly convicted me about that and I told them later on, I do not want to go back there. Even, they, you know, they gave all these things and said, you know, you don't have to drink. You can, you know, you just get food and all. I said, no, I don't want to be in that atmosphere. I don't want to be around those people. And you think that's easy. It's not. That's not easy. When I was writing with them, and now I'm telling them, older people too, adults, that I don't want to eat here, <laughs> that's difficult. It's hard. And, you know, we ought not stand in the way of sinners. We must be careful. And like I said, sometimes friendships have to be severed and avoided. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupt good manners. You know, you become like those you hang around. And those you listen to, you start to learn from them and, and and start thinking the way that they think. It affects you. We must be careful. Thirdly, he does not sit in the seat of the scornful. He's not a scorner, somebody who mocks God. Well, we say, Well, obviously, obviously a blessed man's not gonna mock God. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. When men are living in sin, they go from bad to worse. They have taken their degree in vice, are installed as doctors of damnation, and are looked up to as masters in evil. It doesn't, you know, it starts with listening to bad counsel, and then it goes, you're you're fellowshipping with, with the ungodly. And then you're the scorner. You're sitting in the seat of the scornful. You're not just one day this this Christian that, that's you know, strong and living for the Lord, and all of a sudden you're a scorner. It doesn't work that way. And you know, I've even seen this with, with some of my friends and people who have left the church. They don't just leave. You see a progress of them falling away. And we must be careful that we don't become one of those people. And if we're going to be a happy person, if we're going to be the blessed man we'll be careful with those we hang around those we listen to lest we ourselves become a scorner Ephesians 5:11 says that the righteous man uh, has no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reproves them you know reproving unfruitful works of darkness will not gain you friends <laughs> it doesn't work that way but it is the way to happiness. If we say, well, then I'll lose my friends and I won't be happy. Well, this passage says that the, the happy man is the person who doesn't do those things. So what is true, God's word or, or your own perception of your happiness? You know, I found myself a whole lot happier and growing when I separated from certain individuals. And you'll do the same. The second thing we see, so we see the way that the things that the, happy, or the, that the blessed man, the happy man, does not do. Next we see the way the blessed man, or the things that the blessed man does do in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The word delight is also translated as pleasure and desire. And the word law is translated as Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, which was all the Bible that was written at the time of this psalm. So the blessed man, the happy man, delights in God's word. He delights in God's word. And again, that word delight has to do with, with great pleasure. He takes much pleasure in it. His absolute pleasure and delight is in God's word, and he meditates in it constantly. The word meditate is also translated speak, talk, imagine, study, mutter, utter, and mourn. It is his constant contemplation. God's word is. We say, well, you know, we're busy people, and you know, we go about life and, and we have jobs and responsibilities. It's very difficult to do this. But how are some ways we might do this? Through Bible memorization and study. Putting God's Word in our heart. Reasoning through passages. You know, I do this, especially when you're preparing to preach. As I'm working, as I'm, as I'm going about my life, I'm thinking. Not necessarily of one verse in particular, but reasoning through things. Reasoning through doctrine, through teachings. And that's so important. Preaching, listening to preaching. Listening to music, prayer. The Bible says for us to pray without ceasing. Having this constant communion with the Lord. And it doesn't mean we're always on our knees praying, but we live a life of prayer. But this is the big one. I think the, the best way for us to meditate constantly on God's Word is applying Scripture to our everyday actions and responses. So, as you're on your job doing what you have to do, as you're spending time with the family, as you're out enjoying life, contemplate your actions and and line them up with God's word. How am I responding? How am I living? What can I learn from this? Even, Even as you're working, I'm doing this work unto the Lord. Or how about, sometimes you have to say, All things work together for good, all things work together for good. And but that's the way that we can do, that's the way we can meditate on God's word constantly, is always applying it to our lives and the things that we do, the things that we say. So the blessed man, the, the word of God is his constant contemplation. The word, this is something I found interesting. The word obsessed" is defined by Miriam's Webster, uh, Web, Webster as a state in which, Someone thinks about someone or something constantly or frequently, especially in a way that is not normal. That's how the Christian should be with God's Word. We should be obsessed with God's Word. And you say, well, that's taken it a little too far. We'll turn to Psalm chapter 119. We'll see what the psalmist said here. Psalm 119, verse 97 And we could, I could read pretty much any verse in Psalm 119 to, to drive my point across, but this is one I picked. Oh, how how love I thy law! It is my meditation all the day. Though through the, uh, thou or though through thy commandments, hast, thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I kept thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from, the, from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste! Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth! Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Verse 113, I hate vain thoughts. And that word vain, this has to do with empty it's meaningless. And he's saying here, but thy law do I love. I, he's saying, I hate vain and empty thoughts. And if we're honest with ourselves, those are most of our thoughts. They're vain. They're empty. A lot, you know, Especially if you're listening to podcasts and things a lot. A lot of it's just vanity. And he says, I hate, I hate vanity. I hate every false way. But I love your law. And it's my meditation all the day long. That's how the Christian should live. And if you want to be happy, if you want to be the blessed man, this is what you'll do. You'll make the word of God your greatest and utmost desire. So let's look at why the blessed man loves God's word so much. Why why should we be so obsessed with God's word? Well, I'm going to name several. First, let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth Every man that cometh into the world, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth." The Word of God is the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient Son of God. Do you love Jesus? We sang that song this morning, Oh, how I love Jesus. If you truly love Jesus, you will love the Word. And you hear people in the world say, Oh, I love Jesus, but they, their, their life does not match this. You don't see them abiding in this, keeping these commandments. But you cannot separate Jesus and His Word. We love Jesus and we love His Word because He's our Creator. He's our Savior. He was the man that was made flesh and dwelt among us. He was the man of sorrows for us. He was despised and rejected men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, yet we hid as it were our faces from Him. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Surely He hath bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. That's the word, Jesus Christ, the living Son of God. This is why we should love God's word. This is why we should be obsessed with it. This is why it should be our constant contemplation because it reveals our Creator and our Savior to us. It also reveals to us, to the blessed man, God's love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish. You realize God loves you? And I don't mean this love that's conditional, that, well, maybe God will love you if you do these certain things and you live this perfect life. No, God loved you when you when you were His enemy. You realize He loves you when you fail, when you sin. He still loves you. Think about that. A holy and righteous, eternal God loves you even when you sin. Isn't that just blow your mind? Doesn't that make you happy? Blessed is the man who meditates on this word. Happy is the man. It also reveals to us that we can be reconciled with God. An enemy, you and I, who live in the sinful flesh, who sin day after day after day after day after day, can be right with the holy God, can be reconciled. That's what the word reconciled means. We're right with Him. We have a relationship. He loves me. I'm right with Him. We're reconciled. Why do I love God's Word? Because I'm recon- it tells me that I am redeemed, that I am reconciled to Him, and that He loves me. It is what gave the righteous man his spiritual life. 1 Peter 1.23 says, We're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God. And it is what the righteous man, the blessed man, lives by. Man, Matthew 4.4 4 says, Man shall not live, Jesus told Satan, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall man live. He lives by it. It's also a lamp unto, a feet, unto his feet, a light into his path. It guides his steps, the way that he lives his life. It tells them that there is now therefore... Think about... We're going to go to Romans chapter 8 and I'm just going to list off several. Just in one, chap, one chapter of the Bible, we're going to go through several different promises. Romans chapter 8, one. There is no condemnation to him. There's no condemnation. We think, holy God, I'm condemned. But to the righteous man that's saved, to the blessed man, there's no condemnation. None. No condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Romans 8, verse 16. He is a child of God and a joint heir with Christ. He is is a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's his child. Wouldn't that make him happy? If he's meditating upon just that fact alone, won't that make a man happy? It makes me happy. Happy is the man that recognizes this, that, that meditates in this, that, that feasts on these truths. Verse 18, the suffering of this present time is nothing to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. The things that you're going through today, I don't care how bad the suffering is. I don't care if you just lost your child, if you're Job, who lost his, all that he had, all of his wealth, his kids, his own wife turned against the Lord. It's still nothing to be compared with the glory that shall, be, that shall come. So you're having a bad day, and you want to be happy? Think about that. That the things that you're going through are nothing to be compared with the glory to come. How about verse 26? God hears our prayer. And makes intercessions for us. He searches our heart. He knows what is the mind of the Spirit. He he knows our thoughts. He knows what you're going through. He knows what infirmities and, and your own emotional struggles. He knows them. And he cares. Verse 28: all things work together for him, good for him. All things work together for good to the Christian that loves God. Verse thirty five, nothing can separate him from the love of Christ. Nothing. Not even his own wretchedness. Not Joe Biden, not Dr. Fauci. Nobody can separate us from the love of Christ. I don't care if China came in and and, and shot us all up. They can't separate us from the love of Christ. How about verse 37? He is more than a conqueror. I heard Bobby Mitchell say one time, people say it we're conquerors. He said, no, no, we're not. We're more than conquerors. That's what God's Word says. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us, who bought us with His own blood. And how about this one? We're out of Romans, Revelation 1.7. Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him, And they also which pierced him, and all the kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. The Lord is coming again, and we're going to see him. Doesn't that make you happy? How can that not make you happy? The word of God is everything to the blessed man. So I ask you, what is the word of God to you? What is God's word to you? What priority, what importance does it place in your life? If we go back to our passage in Psalm 1, the blessed man, the happy man's delight, is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates in it day and night. Verse 3, we see the blessed man's promise. Verse 3 He shall be. That's a promise. It's not maybe. He shall be the blessed man, the happy man that meditates in God's word, that stays away from bad and corrupt counsel. Shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. All that he does, it's going to prosper. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. You ask, How can I be happy and prosperous? Delight in God's word. Don't listen to bad counsel. Abide in Christ. Turn to John 15. This passage parallels Psalm 1 in many ways. John 15 says, 1-11, I, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. He brings forth fruit. If you abide in the Word, if you abide in Christ, you will bring forth fruit. It's a guarantee. God's promising us this. It's a guarantee. We must abide in the infallible, preserved, unchanging Word. And if you're not abiding in the Word of God, you're not abiding in Christ. You cannot do it. You can say, well, I'm abiding in Jesus, but if you're not abiding in His Word, you're a liar. You're not. And likewise, if you're not bearing fruit, if you do not have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, you're not abiding in the Word. Because blessed is this man, and prosperous is this man, and this man bears fruit. We must abide in the word, and don't waste your time seeking ungodly people's counsel. It's a waste of time. You want to come go look at or go see some unsafe therapist. To try to teach you how to show you how to be happy and prosperous, you're kidding yourself. That's a, you're wasting your money and your time, and you're going to be fed lies. But yet, you know, if you go to any doctor and you tell any doctor or any physical therapist, or you know, in the field, they'll tell you if, if you're having these mental problems, you need to go see you need to go see a, a psychiatrist, a professional in the field. I went to I went to um, Physical therapy for a while, and uh yeah, he he. One of the he off. I told him he asked me if I had a counselor or somebody like I get to talk to. I said, well, I I have I have a pastor, and he said, well, I mean a professional. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, I I said that's I said, God's words enough for me. My pastor's enough for me. Don't waste your time seeking ungodly counsel. If you, want, if you think you're going to find true happiness in some fictional book, it's not going to happen. Abide in Christ. Abide in God's Word. The other promise, He shall never perish. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth His fruit in His season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He's not going to wither away. He's not going to dwindle away. A life of happiness and prosperity is guaranteed to the man that abides in Christ. This happiness and prosperity does not come by wealth and self-gratification, but by knowing and understanding who God is and what he has done for you as an individual personally, what God has done for you. That's where true happiness is found. And you're not going to wither away. You're going to bring forth fruit. And we're going to see the comparison to the ungodly man here soon. You know, we're going to one day We're going to gather around the throne and declare the Lord, or say unto him, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. We're going to declare Him worthy. What a joy. What a wonderful thing to meditate upon. Don't believe the lie. That happiness only comes by financial freedom, quote unquote, by not working, by being able to do what you want to do, and you know this is part of the reason why so many people are not having kids nowadays. Because kids take up your time as an individual. When you have kids, you have less time for you and the things that you want to do. And but what we would think, well, then I'm going to be less happy if I have more kids. It's the opposite. You have more joy, more happiness when you have children. No, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. But the world says, no, don't, you know, maybe have one, but you don't want to have more than one kid, because then you're not going to have any time for yourself, it, like yourself's going to make you happy. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Turn, I'm running out of time, but turn to Matthew chapter 5. This is the opposite of what our flesh and the world tells us. We'll start in verse 2. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, "...blessed are the poor in spirit." And that word blessed, again, can be translated as happy. So I'm just going to say happy, where it says blessed. "...happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God." Happy are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the chosen of God. Happy are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Happy are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. And shall say, all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. When people treat you wrongfully, rejoice. Be happy. Happy is that man. Happy is that person. Why? Because he's obedient to God's word. Because he's abiding in Christ because he's doing what he was intended to do, what he was created to do. And that's the only way you will find true happiness and prosperity and blessing is by doing what you were created to do, and that is give glory and honor to Christ by serving Him, by abiding in Him. But Fourthly, we see the ungodly man's promise. In verse 4, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You know, Luke chapter 12 tells us of a man that was so rich and prosperous. He said, I'm going to build more barns I'm going to drink and be merry for the rest of my days. And the Lord says to him, thou fool, your life is required of you this day. The world says, prosperity, wealth, that'll make you happy. Retirement will make you happy. But, friend, there's coming a day when all that stuff's going to perish. Temporal, earthly things are going to perish. I don't care how rich you are, it's going to go away, but so is the ungodly man. The ungodly man will go away and perish without his wealth, without happiness, without prospering. He will fail the test on Judgment Day. It says he will not stand in the judgment. Hebrews 927 says is appointed on the man once to die and after this the judgment. We're all going to die, but we're not all going to perish. The ungodly man will perish in the lake of fire and all that he ever worked for will have nothing, nothing to show for his life. I don't care how many people he fed, it was all vanity and that's something that solomon learned throughout his life is he came to the end of his life and said you know a life lived outside of serving and pleasing the lord it's all vanity he shall not stand also in the congregation of the righteous the blessed man will stand in the congregation of god for all eternity to bask in his glory and power and blessings Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, ye may be also. We have a great, as, as Christians, if you are the blessed man, we have a great inheritance waiting for us. We get to be in the congregation of the righteous. For, you know, it was sweet to be able to come back together, to see your all faces again to sing praises again, how much sweeter will it be in heaven? With all of the saints, those people at Calvary Baptist, people in Brunswick, Maine, the Apostle Paul, Peter, the church at Corinth, Ephesus. But the ungodly man has nothing to do with them. He'll not stand with them. He'll never see it. And he does not care about the word of God. He's neglected it. He didn't make it his delight. He listened to ungodly counsel and became a scorner. John 15.6 says, If a man abide not in me, he has cast forth the branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Matthew thirteen, forty one, verse forty three says the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying, Pay attention pay attention if you're following ungodly counsel if you're not if you do not know Christ there's coming a day of reaping of torment so I ask you in conclusion are you walking in the way of the blessed man and as I thought about this You know, we don't know exactly who the the author was of Psalm 1. More than likely, I believe it was David. And we think of David's life. Was he happy all the time? Was he always walking in the way of the blessed man? No. I think of Samson. Was he a happy man? No. His last wish was to... Lord would grant him vengeance. We know he was a saved man, but he lived a life not abiding in God's word. He, in fact, he had a Nazarite vow, and he, he could care less about it. I think a lot who vexed his righteous soul day after day. It's possible for a Christian to be miserable. <laughs> David, at times, when he failed, was miserable. But there is a way that God promises us joy, happiness, prosperity, and fruit. But it's only in abiding in the written word, abiding in Christ. So do you have the joy? If not, you're not walking the way of the blessed man. Pastor.